right? What I mean is that, uh, so I never really remember when those days are. You know those days, the uh, Father's Day and Mother's Day? I, I always get those, uh, I don't really pay attention to when those are coming. I always just wait for my kids, because the, the kids, you know, the kids' schools will kind of prepare them and prep them, and then, and then I'll know. And uh, I don't really ever do any sorts of Father's Day messages or Mother's Day messages. Not, not generally, hasn't been our practice. Sometimes it just happens to, to hit at the right time. And so I thought, oh, as I was kind of thinking about um, what I was going to be speaking on today, going through the book of Philippians, I thought, oh, this is going to be really great. It's going to land right on Father's Day. And um, so that's next week. So, uh, yeah, but no... <laughs> That's okay. Our text today really isn't about, in, in Philippians chapter 2, it's not really about fathers, um, but it is, uh, if, if you kind of want to flip, if in your own copy of the scriptures, if you want to flip um, to, to Philippians chapter 2, by the, end of the, by the end of the chapter, I'll kind of start where, where Paul ends. By the end, in, in verse 29, Paul actually says, receive men such as these and honor such men. Receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. And Paul's actually uh, speaking of what's happening here in the second letter to the Fli- or in the second chapter of this letter to the Philippians. Paul actually is is writing a letter of recommendation for a couple of people that he wants to send to the Philippian church. Oh, is there? Okay. <laughs> are Are you looking for a water bottle, for chance? Because I found one, and I gave it away. Okay. <laughs> yeah, coffee canister. It's downstairs. <laughs> I found it before the service. So I was like, oh, I'll take it downstairs. Anyway, it's just a prank I play on Meredith. Anyway, what's, <laughs> sorry. what's happening is that Paul is basically writing a letter of commendation because he wants to send these two men to the Philippians. And in this, and even as Paul speaks about his own ministry, and then he speaks about the ministry of uh, the first one, Timothy, who's been Paul's co-worker and, and kind of Paul's son in the faith is what he calls him here. And then this other man, Epaphroditus, uh, who's actually from the Philippian church and was sent to Paul to minister to Paul's needs in prison. Paul's actually saying why he's excited. But number one, Paul says, like, I would like to go myself. But in lieu of me being able, if, I can, if I'm not able to come to you myself, these are the men I really want to send to you. And I want to send you these men because they possess something in them in which I want you, when he gets to the end of this, of this section in, chapter, in verse 29, there's something in him, in, the, in these men, that, so that you as a church family, I want you to receive them and I want you even to receive them with honor. I want them to be honored in your midst. And so here in this, this, this text, it seems at first glance just that Paul's just kind of writing letters of recommendation to the church on behalf of these two men. But in a sense, he's also instructing the church as to what sort of men, what sort of shepherds and pastors and ministry leaders they should be receiving and honoring in their community. Because I think what Paul's saying here is basically, I would love to come and stay with you, but because I'm not able to, I want you to, to receive and honor Timothy and Epaphroditus. But even if Timothy and Epaphroditus aren't able to come to you, I want you to receive men such as these. And so we get in this, 
couple paragraphs here in this recommendation letters that he's writing to Timothy, we are receiving, we are receiving not just the Philippian church, but we ourselves at OCBC are receiving something here to speak of the quality and the character of the ministers that we should be looking for to receive and to honor. I mean, I can't preach this message without also thinking that I'm going to be stepping down aside as, as our pastor here in a number of months. So, so this is, in a sense, my prayer for OCBC as well that the person who I hope to, to pass off this ministry to and who will, who will come and work among you, I also would pray that would, they would exemplify these things. Now, by the time we get to the, the end of this sermon, I'm going to try to expand it into other areas. But I couldn't, I couldn't help but as I was looking at this going, yes, exactly, that's the type of man I hope will come and will serve among you. And I can imagine that's what Paul's doing. Paul's saying, I wish I could stay here, and I wish I could be with you, but since I can't take Timothy and take Epaphroditus and take men such as these. And so what sort of men are we to receive and honor? It's very simple. He has two things we're to look for, and then he says a third thing. So love, <laughs> service, and someone who's tested. In these things. And he speaks about these with all three of them. So first he speaks that we are to be looking for someone who will love you with the affection of Christ. I mean, that's our prayer. And that's what we're looking for. And that's what we're hoping to receive. Someone who will love you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul spoke about that affection of Christ Jesus even earlier in the letter in chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, where Paul says, remember he says, every time I think of you, I make all my prayers uh, for you with joy because of our partnership in the gospel that we've had from the first day until now. From the first day you welcomed me into your homes. The first day I arrived on, at Philippi's shore, and remember he went down to the riverside and he saw the women who were there. There wasn't enough Jewish people in the city to have a synagogue. So he went down to the river and there he found Lydia. And she, she immediately became a Christian. And then she immediately welcomed Paul and the missionaries into her own home. And Paul said, from that very first day, you've shown me a unique welcome and hospitality. And I, every time I think of you, Philippian church, I thank my God because of that unique partnership in the gospel that we've had. And Paul then says, and I don't know why, and I remember preaching this, I think what he's basically telling them in these, this section that we're looking at here is just simply how much he loves them. He says, it's right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you're all partakers with me of the grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, for God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And so Paul has already told them, this is how I hold you in my heart. But he says, Timothy, Timothy's a son to me, Paul says, because he expresses this same heart. When he's writing this letter of commendation to the church, maybe they don't know Timothy as well, and they're very concerned and anxious that Paul's not going to be able to stay with them, but Paul wants them to know, I've got this, I've got this co-worker, I've got this guy I call my son in the faith, and I want you to know that even beyond anybody else I've met, he will hold you in the same love. Paul writes, I hope in the Lord, in verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that so I too might be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. And so that's the mark of the, or the character quality that, 
that Paul first points out in Timothy. This is a man who's going to love you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And Paul actually says he's, he's unique in this, in his love. I don't want to say what I was about to say. Probably wouldn't be good. There, there are charlatans out there. there. There are people who are set apart in a sense or have taken for themselves gospel ministry to enlarge their tent, to enlarge their reach, to enlarge their name. And what Paul says, and Paul had spoken about that in chapter 1, there are people who preach Christ out of vain ambition and out of ill motive. And Paul says, no, here, here I'm going to send you Timothy, and I want you to know he will love you the same way that I have loved you, and he will love you with the affection of Christ. Epaphroditus, the same way. So Epaphroditus, Paul says, I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. Man, that it, I, I would, I'm not going to unpack that today, but there's a lot there about what a minister is. He's a brother and a fellow worker and a fellow soldier and a messenger and minister. But look at this in verse 26. He has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. This is what happens. Epaphrodite, the Philippian church loved the apostle Paul so much. And they had, uh, in fact, at the end of the letter, Paul says, there's no other church that entered in with me in the giving and receiving like you have done. So they've not only contributed to Paul's ministry financially, but they actually sent this man, Epaphroditus. He was a member of the Philippian church, and they sent him. They were concerned for Paul because Paul is, as we said, likely in a Roman prison. So they said, Paul, what can we do? Can we send you money? Can we f- send you food? I know what we can do. We can send you our, our, one of our best. We can send you Epaphroditus. And so they sent Epaphroditus to Rome to take care of Paul when he was under house arrest. But what happened was while Epaphroditus was in Rome, uh, apparently he got deathly ill. To the point where he nearly died. I don't, know what, I don't know what his malady was, but he got sick and nearly died. And news got back to Philippi that Epaphroditus was sick. And so now Philippi's even, we talked about this is a letter written to an anxious church. And so now Philippi's even more anxious because they're like, oh no, Paul's in prison and he might be put to death. We'll send Epaphroditus to care for him. Oh no, Epaphroditus is sick and he's about to die. And Epaphroditus is more distressed about the anxiety he's provoking in the Philippian church. It says, it says he's been distressed because you heard he was ill. Epaphroditus, like Timothy, like Paul, who have loved this church with the affections of Jesus, is not as concerned with his own health as he is with the distress of the Philippian church. And so this is, what Paul, this is what Paul's highlighting in each of these people that he longs to, to send to Philippi. He's highlighting the heart of a minister. He's highlighting the heart of those who will love you with the affection of Christ. Now obviously, when we talk about affection in our language, in our culture, man, we, we've really, I think, Strip that word of any monumental significance. Because we can have like affection, we can think of as like, I think of it like a Hallmark card. You know, or we really can make it superficial. But this affection, there's not just a Hallmark affection. 
This is the affection of Christ. It's a genuine affection, concern, and care stemming from having the heart of Christ for one another. It doesn't define for us in Philippians what this affection of Christ is, but I do think that we could do something through a prayer in Ephesians to to reflect on this this love of Christ. Because this is the prayer that Paul prays for the Ephesians church. He says that you, church, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Ray Steadman, in his book, Body Life, has, has, leads us in a reflection of the love of Christ through these four um, directional elements. I don't know what they call but through the breadth, through the length, through the height and the depth. And I, I, do, I did want to just share with you some of his reflection on, on the love of Christ and what the love of Christ means and what the love of Christ means for this affection that we are to have for one another or that we're to look for. And so the love of Christ, Steadman speaks to the breadth, the length, and the height, and the depth of the love of Christ. The breadth, and what Steadman does in this book is he actually takes the book of Ephesians and he says, in the book of Ephesians, how do we see the love of Christ revealed? And so when he thinks of the breadth of the love of Christ, he realizes that the book of Ephesians is written, for example, to speak of the love of Christ, meaning the love, of all, the love that Christ has for all people. And the book of Ephesians is particularly concerned with the Jews and the Gentiles and the dividing wall of hostility and how Christ has torn down the dividing wall of hostility between these different people groups. And has now, and, and the love of Christ, he said he came and he preached to those who were far away and he came and he preached to those who were near and now he's torn down that dividing wall of hostility. So in Stedman's reflection, the breadth of the love of Christ is the love that Christ displays for all. As the Apostle Peter uh, reflected on it. He went that first day to Cornelius' house, the Gentile, and he said, I now understand. Now I perceive that God does not show favoritism, but accepts people from every nation who fear him and do, does what is right. And so the breadth of Christ, the love of Christ, the, the breadth of the love of Christ is a love for all people, Jew, Gentile, Chinese, Singaporean, Indonesian, Cameroon, I don't know, from Swaziland, from every nation, every country, every people, rich people, poor people, well people, disabled people. Look for one who will come, who will love all. The breadth of the love of Christ. The length of the love of Christ. Stedman points out that in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1 starts with this eternal cosmic plan of God. That before the foundation of the world, God had a plan set forth in Christ for the wrapping up of all things at the end. So Ephesians chapter 1 is all about this eternal cosmic plan that God has had from before eternity until eternity to come to redeem a people for himself. And that this plan cannot be thwarted, it cannot be stopped, it cannot derail. This love of God, the length of the love of God is a love that is forever. It's a love that once, it has, once you have received it as you have become a child of God, he's not a father that will give and, give and take back his love 
He's not a father that will have conditional love. But he's a father that loves you with covenantal love. With hesed, as the Hebrews would say. The covenantal love that God says, unless the heavens or the earth pass away, my love for you will never pass away. It is an unconditional love of the father to the child. That God, before the beginning of the world, before the foundations of the earth, had a plan that he set forth in Christ. The forever love of God. That if you're a child of God, if you're truly regenerate, if the Spirit truly lives in you, if you are in Christ, you don't need to fear rejection if you're a true child of God. The height. Ray Stedman speaks about the height being the love that raises high. In the book of Ephesians, it actually says that we once were dead in our sins, dead in our trespasses, and yet God, what he has done in us because out of his great mercy and out of his great love for us, he found us where we were and he raised us up with Christ and he raised us to be ascended with him in the heavenly places. And so the the height of the love of God is this, that God's love is for everyone, God's love is eternal, and God's love will take you where you are, but he will not let you stay where you are. He will raise you in his redeeming power, in his redeeming love. That he's not just going to let you remain where you are, but he has raised you positionally to be with Christ, and through the power of the Holy Spirit working in your life, he will redeem you and sanctify you, and that process of your salvation being worked out with fear and trembling will occur in your life because God is working out his love in and through you. It's God who works in you. And so the height is this, that there is a hope and that there is a future And that God's love, the love of Christ is is bringing you into that future and the depth. The depth of Christ's love is the love for the low. The love for the sinner. The love for us who are in our nature depraved. Who are in our nature unable to earn or deserve a love or a position with God who are by nature children of wrath. That's what it says in Ephesians chapter 2. That we were dead in our sins and our trespasses. We were unable to love God. We were unable to please God. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were walking following the course of this world. We were under the dominion of the power of the air, Satan. And we were By nature, children of wrath. And so this is the love of God that has come into our lowliness. That has come into our sinful reality, our sinful world. That incarnated the love of God that at Christmas where he came and he lived as one of us. It's the love of God that seeks and saves sinners. It's the love of God that eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners. It's the love of God that does not reject sinners, but doesn't leave them there either. So that's the love of God, the love of God for all people, the love of God for all time, the love of God to raise up, and the love of God to find the low. That's the love of God. And so Paul's saying, I I think if, if that's part of our reflection on what it means to have the affection of Christ, that's what Paul is 
saying these men will love you with that affection, the same affection the Apostle Paul had. As, he, as, he, as his life was completely transformed and he went into the world seeking and saving those who had been alienated from God. The love of Christ. Secondly, Paul's describing these men and he's saying, look for those who will serve you in the sacrificial way of Christ. This is an interesting phrase that Paul uses even to describe his own ministry. In verse 17, particularly, you know that Paul is in prison. He's waiting to find out whether he's going to live or die. He's ready to face death for the call of the love of Christ that's put on his life. And he says in verse 17, even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial service of your faith, I'm glad and I rejoice with you. Paul's not scared of what they are going to do with him. And he's saying, listen, my life is like water in a basin. And, and as I am fulfilling the work that God has called me to do, I'm pouring myself out. It, it's a painful thing. And, and I don't know if, you, if you've had an experience... The, the, the biggest experience of my life where I can think about this is I, um, I wasn't going to share this, but I, in, in university, I had a couple friends who walked away from the Lord. They were really close friends of mine. And, and I had already been scheduled to preach on the subject of doubt for our student body, which is about 3,500 people. And as I'm preparing to, to talk on the subject of doubt, two of my best friends were, were in the process of walking away from the Lord. And, and I called my campus chaplain. I said, I, I don't think I can speak. I don't think I can preach this message because it's too painful. Like, I was wrestling with doubt. My friends were wrestling with doubt. And I said, I don't, I don't think I can do this. And, and he said, well, we'll just pray for you and we'll see how it happens. And I'll tell you, like, I don't think, I mean, that was, I was, what, 21 years old. I don't think there's ever been a time in my ministry since that I've ever, ever felt such pain in pouring myself out for the message that I believe God had me to speak. And I got up in front of our student body, and I, I, was, I almost wept at the beginning, and I, I held it together. And, and I, preached this, I preached this sermon in our church a couple times, actually, on Psalm 73. It's one of my favorite psalms. And I just after I got done, I just left it there. I was completely like, here, this is all I have. And it was so interesting to see how God used that message in our campus. And, and that was like one of the full, like times in my entire life where I realized this is what ministry is. It's when you, it completely crushes you. It's when ministry, it's like, I'm looking at you guys, it's like when your, life, your love for the teenagers, like in the youth group, when it crushes you. And I know you guys have been there. And for Sunday school teachers, it's like when you're like, man, these kids, I don't know if anything's getting through to them. And it crushes you. Or you're a small group leader and no one's coming. And, you're, and you're, you're feeling like a grape that's just being squeezed. And Paul's saying, like, this is what ministry has been like for me. It, it's, it's my life in a basin of water being poured out. And he says, but listen, if you guys are standing firm in the faith, it's all worth it and I'll rejoice. Like, whatever happens to me, Paul's saying, doesn't matter. If I even have to face the Roman executors, it doesn't matter. If my life is poured out completely, even unto death for the sacrifice and service of your faith, I will rejoice and I'll continue to rejoice. This is Paul. And then Timothy. 
I mean, Timothy just speaks it in this way. He says, I have no one like Timothy who will be generally concerned for your welfare. They all seek their own interests, but there's something about Timothy. Here's what the thing is about Timothy. He doesn't seek his own interests. He seeks the interests of Christ. And I think that's a huge point in this ministry too. Sometimes we're looking for people who will love us and, and seek our interests. And that's selfishness. Paul's saying, he's, Paul's saying Timothy's not going to love you and seek your interests. He actually says, Timothy is going to love you and seek the interests of Christ for you. And that's who you're looking for. It's someone who cares not about his life, doesn't care about his own interests, but will seek the interests of Christ first. You, you know what's better than someone who loves you? Someone who loves Christ. You know what's better than someone who will serve you? Someone who will serve Christ. And here's Epaphroditus. And Paul says, receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor. With all joy and honor such men. And Paul's just, he can't get over this idea that this guy came to serve him while he's in prison. And he says, he nearly died for the work of Christ. To complete what was lacking in your service to me. And, and that's why Paul says, I, that's why I'm all the more eager to send him back to you. Because now I've seen his character. I guess that leads us to the third. Find someone who's well tested. He says about Timothy, you know his proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served me in the gospel. And about Epaphroditus, he says, I've seen this guy. He's my brother. He's my fellow worker, fellow soldier. He's your messenger and minister to my need. And, and after seeing how he was ready to give up even his own life to serve me, I'm all the more eager to send him to you, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. Therefore, receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. Look for those who are well-tested, who will love you well, and who will serve you in the interests of Christ. In short, I mean, this message is very simple. Oh, I don't know what happened there, Nathan. Can you uh, help out in that? I'll just press present again. There you go. In short, it's very simple. Look for someone who will honor Christ by displaying the love and sacrificial service of Christ. So, so all that Paul's doing here, you have to understand, this is the end of what Paul started back in, in chapter 1, verse 27, where Paul says, I don't know if I'm able to stay with you or not or come back to see you or not, but here's how I want you to prepare for the reality that I might, I might not be able to see you again. And, and in 127, he started kind of this thing about whether I'm with you or whether I'm not, this is what I really long for you, that you'd, you'd stand in these things. And then in the beginning of chapter 2, he said, I want you to be one-minded in Christ. And he gives us this picture of Jesus Christ. And this picture of Jesus Christ, what, it, what, what you see as we look at Timothy and Epaphroditus and those he wants to send to the Philippian church, he's looking for people who have the mind of Christ Jesus. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. So he's saying about Timothy, I love Timothy because he's just like Christ. He doesn't care about his own interests. He doesn't grasp on to his own things. He sets it aside to serve the interests of Christ. He was being born in the likeness of human man and being found in human form. He humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And what Paul says is, yeah, Epaphroditus, he was honoring Christ when he came to me and he served me, almost pouring his life out 
for me. So in short, what Paul's saying is what you're looking for is you're looking for someone who will display the character, the love, and the sacrificial servant heart of Christ. And he said, therefore, God honored him and gave him the name that's above every name. And he says, and what Paul says later is, therefore, receive such men and honor them, giving them the honor that belongs to someone who's displaying the character and the love and the service of Christ. I was thinking about what this looks like practically, and Friday night, um, Friday night, there's a man in our town named uh, Mark, Markland Anthony Campbell. He was known as his friends as, as Giant John. And Friday night, he had a great day on Friday. On Friday so, so he had this hip-hop group that he had started 25 years ago in, in our community. And they actually had taken a 15-year hiatus, but they'd gotten back together about six months ago. And on Friday, he just found out during the day that his hip-hop group after, after having that 15-year-long hiatus and just getting back together, secured like a radio contract so that they're going to be able to now release their music on different radio stations. Um, so they were planning, uh, Friday afternoon, they were planning press releases and they are planning like promotional tours. And this is, this is what they're doing. This is what he's lived for, his dream to come true. And at 9.30 Friday night, uh, he left work. He worked at Shaw Center. He left work and he got a text from his daughter. And everything else went out the window. Because his daughter said, come down to Byward Market. Uh, these older men are harassing me. So he, I don't know if he walked briskly. I don't know if he ran. But he made his way down to Byward Market. Now what's he going to do to these men who are harassing his daughter? Well, I don't know what I would do to men if they started harassing my daughter. But uh, this guy, uh, he actually had, I don't think he was, had violent thoughts in his mind. Um, he wasn't a violent man. He was actually known in the city for his anti-violent activism. When he was 16 years old, he was moved by a shooting that had happened in Byward Market, and he and his two friends formed that hip-hop group to, at 16 years old to put on a citywide concert in 1994, to put on a concert for our city protesting violence. And that's why they started their, their hip-hop group. And so he'd been known all his life as a peaceful man and somebody who actually worked for and to teach nonviolence to young people in the city. So as he made his way to defend his daughter, I don't think he had a violent thought in his mind, but you may know the story. He got down to Byward Market, and less than a mile away from that shooting 25 years ago, he was shot three times and died Friday night in our city. Uh, the newspaper said he was maliciously gunned down, defending the principle of righteousness he lived by. Tonight at 6 o'clock, there's going to be a vigil down in Byward Market honoring him who displayed that sort of self-giving, self-emptying love. I don't know what his relationship with his daughter had been like. I don't know him personally. But it's, appropriate and it's, a, it's right and appropriate to honor a man who would in his word and in his action, display that self-sacrificing love. Now Paul applied this to the type of men he wished to send to the Philippians. And obviously these portraits strike me in a personal way. I, I, as I said, I'll soon be stepping aside from ministry at OCBC. My prayer for you 
is that God will send us a man who will love you and who will serve you with the sacrificial heart of Christ. I would ask you today, though, to consider this as well. Because there may be others, you know, other applications that you may want to think through, not just uh, the type of person we're looking and praying for that God will send us. I would ask you this, too. Like, particularly young people who are still in this process of, of, discern, of uh, searching for a spouse, dating relationships, do not settle for a selfish person who is not going to follow Christ and seek the interests of Christ first, who, who does not know Christ and will not love you with the affection of Christ and with the sacrificial service of Christ. If you're looking for mentors or friends, I pray that you will seek people out who you see this love of Christ in. And may we ourselves, number one, may we ourselves just chase after Christ. May we ourselves have our heart transformed by Christ. May we have a life that is changed by Christ. May we know him and the breadth and the height and the depth and the length of his love. I would ask you today in your own spiritual search, have you received an honored Christ who has loved you with a servant heart and gave himself sacrificially so that those who trust in him would be honored by them? Do you know the love of God? Do you know the love of God? Do you know the affection God has displayed in Christ? Do you know the love that he has poured out through the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Christ? I would ask you today, are you willing today to follow him? And Christian, are you committed growing in, in, in the love of Christ, willing to sacrifice whatever he asks for the sake of others? And I would ask, who is the Holy Spirit asking you to love with the servant's heart? What is the Holy Spirit asking you to risk? Love takes risk. And who is the Holy Spirit asking you to receive in honor today?